Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. Whatever types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you a shot of writing inspiration. And we do it by picking the brains of all kinds of professional writers about their writing and the writing life. Today, thought leadership. It's one of those phrases many copywriters are sceptical of, simply because it's so overused. But in this episode, I chat to Simon Phillips, a marketing consultant who specialises in advising professional services firms on producing content that actually qualifies for the term. Simon talked about what good thought leadership looks like and what it doesn't, and how as a copywriter you can position yourself to work in this high-quality niche. That's coming right up. In the meantime, a big shout out to Liat and Sasha for your reviews on Stitcher. Your support really means a huge amount to me. And to other listeners out there, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review wherever you listen, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, or another platform. Now, let's get straight to the interview. Thank you for joining me on the podcast okay. today. Um, I've brought you in to talk about one of your particular specialisms. I mean, you're a, a marketing professional generally and a writer generally, but one of your particular specialisms is advising companies on thought leadership, air quotes being <laughs> yes. used. Can, can we start with some really concrete basics? Yeah. What format might a modern piece of thought leadership take? Are we are we just talking white papers, or is it broader than that? No, I think you're, you're quite right to use the word modern, because in the past, um, white, uh, the, the thought leadership world was very much about white papers, um, advertorials possibly appearing in uh, the FT or The Economist or uh, other business publications. But now, there's a whole plethora of um, different uh, ways of distributing or producing thought leadership, newsletters, blogs, articles, podcasts, video... And within that, you can use case studies, opinion pieces, research, whatever. So um, there's a vast range of different ways it can be put out. And the, and the best um, and most sophisticated thought leadership pieces will probably use a combination of all of them, recognising that their audiences will have different capacities for uh, reading a, a lengthy printed document versus you know, a, a quick podcast um, or even a, a short video clip. So it sounds very much like another word that's banded around quite a lot, which or another phrase that's banded around quite a lot, uh, which is content marketing. Is it the same thing? Yes and no, to, to sit on the fence. Um, I think thought leadership sits within the overall category of content marketing, but um, I think there are two, two aspects to it that make it different. One, it tends to be specific to professional services firms. Um, and the second point is that it differs from other content marketing in that it's not usually about the firm or the product or the service. It's about an idea. And the way professional services firms use thought leadership, whether or not one likes that term, uh, is it's a way they can promote their intellectual capital. Um, a lot of professional services firms' business depends on the relationship individual partners have with their clients. And thought leadership is a way of institutionalizing that individual brain power and demonstrating the depth of expertise and uh, capability that lies behind those individuals. Uh, and that's why it's become you know, a major part of their marketing budget over the past few years. So you said whether or not you like that phrase, thought leadership, <laughs> which brings me to my next question, because um, it would be dishonest of me not to let you know that, like many copywriters... Uh, I have in the past been a bit sniffy about this term thought leadership. There's definitely a general sense that it's 
slightly overused. I have a colleague who thinks thought leadership just means using lots of corpse speak. And um, and I, I wanted to quote you something from Copyblogger, which is probably the number one blog for copywriters. And this is an article dedicated to thought leadership. And the writer says, I just hate the term. It's a clumsy verbal construct that has no need to exist. Thought leadership implies that you have some kind of shiny new insight that no one has articulated before. To be a thought leader, what you're saying can't just be interesting, well-reasoned and useful. It has to be new. Now, do you, <laughs> do you agree? Can you, can you make the case for thought leadership as a term that deserves to exist? Um, I can, in the sense that it's useful marketing jargon and shorthand. And if you're in a group of uh, business people and marketing people... Um, they will immediately know what what you're talking about. So um, I agree with a lot of what um, you've just said about and those, those comments. It's overused, it's a hackneyed phrase, but then so much of jargon, particularly business jargon, is. Um, on the point about it being full of corporate speak, uh, yes, bad thought leadership is full of corporate speak. And um, I, um, as you know, work with um, uh, a legal research firm, Acritas, who own um, a, uh, an evaluation tool called Brainbox that looks at the effectiveness of thought leadership. And so we've looked very closely you know, with this at, at what makes good thought leadership. And too often you do find things that are classified as thought leadership uh, that are in, in fact just about the business and, and, and um, corporate, full of corporate consultant speak. Um, whereas a good thought leadership piece is about an idea. Now, ideally it is original, but in today's world, coming up with originality is pretty hard. Uh, so it's more about... Take, having an original or a different angle on something rather than uh, coming up with a completely new and original idea. So, And, and the definition that we use um, for, for the Brainbox tool um, was actually developed by someone called Tim Preisman, who is a PR uh, expert. And he defined um, good thought leadership as comprising original ideas that have important implications, is backed by evidence, clearly expressed and designed to influence others. And I think that's a pretty good articulation of, of, of what thought leadership is but I agree wholeheartedly with the copy blogger person that, that could easily be a, um, a description of a good article in the FT or the Times or the, the Economist or wherever um, or indeed a good academic piece so um, I don't think it's ex that, that description is exclusive to thought leadership but it's become a business marketing term uh, and you know, I think we just have to live with it. Um, I think the other thing is it's often misused um, to, de to describe things that I certainly wouldn't describe as uh, thought leadership. So a blog or, or even something we see in professional services firms, an update uh, about a new regulation or a new law or accounting practice is put out, um, or, or maybe there's a report after the budget that all the accountants put out, and that's classified as thought leadership. That's not what I would describe as thought leadership, because that's simply updating um, clients on what's going on in the world and in the market. Uh, it's not necessarily taking a different approach or a different angle on things. So of the pieces that you feed into this brain box tool, mm. what percentage pass the test? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure we've ever looked at that. I mean, we, we, we do use it as a benchmark. I think it, I would say on the ones that I've reviewed, I would say three out of ten are pretty poor and, and, and uh, miss the, 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 um, the mark on a number of different levels. But the majority of are good quality, I and mean, the, the sort of people that we're dealing with, the, the, the producers of these um, thought leadership pieces, tend to be the big, well-known um, consultants, accountants, lawyers. Um, and so the, the, the quality is always going to be at a pretty high level. I dare say if you 
on, went on a much, much broader um, uh, trawl of thought leadership pieces. Then, but again, we wouldn't classify those as thought leadership and probably wouldn't want to put them through the models. So presumably those three out of ten are the beginnings of a tricky conversation with your client about... They can be, yes. yes. But I think people use the evaluation tool in different ways. Very often a marketing communications team will want to use it as a way of persuading their partners to take a different approach. Um, and sometimes partners will want it as a way of keeping their marketing communications team up to scratch. So you can't please everyone all the time. But, um, but overall, um, it's, it's been a, used as a way to improve the output of the firms that have used it. So what typically are the mistakes that you see or issues that crop up among your clients? Well, I think there are a number of different factors that need to be considered. And at the heart of it all um, is good planning. Um, so having a clear business objective. And, and um, one has to remember, again, going back to the definition issue, um, when we're talking about thought leadership, we are talking about a business exercise. Um, so working out what the... the business objective is and how it's aligned to the overall marketing or, or business strategy of the firm concerned uh, is uh, the crucial first step. So what might a typical business well, objective be? Um, generally speaking, they're going to be marketing objectives. Um, sometimes they're delivered purely as a client benefit, as a value add, but, but most of the time they're going to be marketing uh, objectives. And again, for the brain box um, tool, we split um, the objectives into four categories along the client relationship, or to use the more jargon, client journey. Um, so well, at least it's not a funnel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I could have used that. Um, you've got um, awareness, interest, engagement, and then action. Um, so um, most thought leadership pieces will need to do something at uh, one of those um, steps. So the first question is, are we looking to build broad awareness in the market, or are we looking to start a conversation with an existing client on something different? Or um, are we reinforcing and defending a market position we hold? Or are we looking to develop a new sector and a new uh, practice uh, and break into a, a new market? And finally, who, whom, whom are we actually targeting? Um, is it one client or, or many um, or half a dozen clients? Um, and I mean, I've certainly known pieces that are targeted at just one or two key clients um, to sort of strengthen the relationship there. So, and that brings me on to the second point, which is, defining who the reader is and of course this goes to the heart of any writing is Absolutely. you know your reader not just who they are but what's important to them uh, what matters to them and what, what do they want um, I know you've sometimes um, talked about the importance of identifying one reader and having one reader in mind and I think that's a great discipline to follow I'm always put in mind though of the Times writer's anecdote uh, I, I think it might have been Peter Jay who was approached after um, writing a particularly complicated piece on economics by his sub-editor, who very nervously said, I don't quite understand your argument yet. And Peter Jay responded, that article was written for three people and you're not one of them. <laughs> um, but potentially uh, a thought leadership well, piece might be written for three people. Exactly, yes. But I think um, when we're talking about mar these marketing pieces, they need to be re readable by more than... You don't want to come across as so exclusive and so arrogant. Uh, and of course, they've always got to be... Uh, in line with the, the brand um, tone of voice and, and um, approachability of, of the brand. Now, if you, if you want to set your stall out as a very exclusive, uh, sort of intellectually exclusive business, then fine. But, uh, but uh, I, I don't think you can get away with um, 
of being um, so arrogant and say, well, if you don't understand it, it's not for you. <laughs> well, I think the best academic writing is always clear. I mean, I, I teach academic writing skills. And yeah. for a, a PhD at Cambridge, I think the only criterion it lists when it comes to the actual writing is it should be clearly written. Yes. So if PhD candidates at the University of Cambridge are expected to meet those standards, I don't see why a consultant exactly. or an accountant shouldn't. So, exactly. um, so how do you measure and evaluate the effectiveness of a piece of thought leadership? Well, with, with the brain box tool, we look at two things. Um, there's the qualitative side, which is where we get um, other writers um, to look at the readability of the piece. Uh, we don't expect them to judge the f- factual accuracy with the sort of clients we're dealing with, that's taken as, as taken for granted. And what would be, they be looking for? Are they using well, readability tools? Or y- yes, uh, we use readability tools, uh, but also um, you know, the, the, the length of sentences, use of jargon, or hopefully avoidance of jargon, and, and the clarity of arguments. You know, do, the, do the arguments follow uh, logically? Are they laid out well? Um, is there a clear standpoint um, so you know what the um, the reader is or the writer is, is saying. Because so. of course a piece can do brilliantly in a readability tool but it can still be confusing if yes. it's not cohesive. Exactly, yeah. So, um, And then there's the quantitative side uh, which is where we go back to the, what, what are the business objectives and then we look at how many people have read it, downloaded it, used it in conferences, has it led to business development meetings, um, and you know, there are lots of different criteria which will be um, based on what the, the client's um, end objectives are. It, it sounds to me like a thought leadership piece. I mean, as a writer, I know how long it takes to write something. It sounds like producing thought leadership is not time and resource unintensive. Very double <laughs> negative there. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I'm just wondering how a busy law firm or accountancy firm or consultancy firm finds the time and the resource to produce this sort of high-quality content? Well, um, the simple answer is get a professional writer to do it, whether that be someone in-house um, or external. Um, the, the time from the fee earners that is needed is at the planning stage um, because it's the fee earners who will be able to tell you about the reader, um, not just who they are and, and what they want and what, uh, what they do, but I think also... It's very important to understand the emotional side of the reader's um, approach to things as well as the, um, uh, the sort of the intellectual thing. What's important and what they worry about, what's going to get them excited and inspired. Because good thought leadership knows how to inspire, um, excite, and even in some cases um, worry the reader uh, into um, taking some action. So that's um, the first requirement from the fee earners is to, for them to explain um, who the readers are and, and what's going to... Um, uh, inspire them. The second is um, the key topic, or the, the key issue of choosing the topic. You know, there's so much out there. How do you come up with uh, a new, uh, an idea that may not be new, but, a, but but you might be able to find a new angle on it? Um, and that's where you need to get the PMs in a room and discuss what's going on in the um, end client's business. Uh, what are the big issues? And again, with the brain box tool, we, we have a methodology for um, starting out you know, very big picture, big issue on a macroeconomic level, and then drilling down um, into specific issues facing um, the, the, um, the industry concerned um, and trying to find that white space where some people haven't commented on or, or there might be a new angle that, uh, that can be developed. 
Um, but it always comes back to putting yourself in the reader's shoes. What's going to be different for them? What matters to them? And obviously that's something that as professional writers we are always thinking about. I often feel that when I'm working with clients that I am there almost not as a writer but as the champion of the reader. I think that's another yes. very good reason to bring yes. in external writers. Yes. Well, I think that's um, one of the best advice I would give to a client at the sort of planning briefing stage is be ready to be challenged by your writer um, because they're coming with that outside perspective and you may have full inside knowledge of your own firm and your own expertise, but that writer's coming at it from a different angle and therefore um, be ready to be challenged and respect the challenges they come up with. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. What advice would you give to a copywriter who was hoping to break into thought leadership as a niche? Well, it's the writing skills that matter most of all. Um, as we've just said, you, you, you would bring in a professional writer to do a good piece. Um, so writing skills matter more than subject matter expertise, unless you're operating in a very technical area. And even there, I think... Um, your role as a writer is more as a translator of technicalities um, than as a um, simply passing on technical stuff in the same language that it's given to you. But the thought leadership we've been talking about tends to be aimed at uh, big multinational companies and, and the C-suite, the chief executives, the chief financial officers and so on. Um, so it's more useful, rather than being an expert in I don't know, biochemistry or finance or whatever, um, to have a broad understanding of the big issues facing multinational businesses. Um, and that you can get from reading the FT or The Economist or The Wall Street Journal or any um, good business papers. Um, so have an understanding of what matters to, to these potential readers. Um, and you can get the detail that you need on the particular industry uh, from the briefing session that you have uh, with the client. So the, the second piece of advice, I think, would be uh, to have a really clear briefing structure um, so you've got lots of questions um, to ask the fee earners when you finally get them around the table, which can often be part of the challenge. So. Yes, I'm sure. But certainly formalising the briefing process yeah. is something that I think eventually every writer learns. You yeah. need to have some kind of form that they can fill in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that briefing process needs to come back to those points we talked earlier about the Tim Prizman definition. Um, is it something that's going to be original? Not necessarily an original idea, but a, 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 an original um, opinion or angle. So getting them to articulate why yeah, it's original. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. um, is it relevant to the potential reader? Um, is it credible? And this may be where you bring in uh, outside research. So you know, is it backed up by evidence? Uh, and then is it thought-provoking? Um, is it going to influence others? And again, that's one of the challenges I think a writer needs to put to their client is uh, how provocative do you want to be? Um, and I've seen... <laughs> so they run scared when, well, when they it, see how exactly. provocative... Yes, and, and, and um, there are lots of sensitivities. I mean, you have to understand that these um, consultancies and uh, lawyers and accountants and other professional service firms have lots of different clients, some of whom 
um, will be potentially upset by something that is really provocative and challenging. Um, and then there's the whole issue of, do you talk about their, their competitors in the thought leadership piece? Um, if you leave the competitors out, does it then look thin and lose credibility? So and lots like of different a big issues. competitor-shaped hole in it exactly. that everyone can see. Yes. <laughs> um, so all these questions need to come out of the briefing, out of the briefing session rather than at the end of the process when, of course, it's too late to do anything about it. And as a writer, do you have to fight for access to subject matter experts and that sort of thing? Uh, you shouldn't have to fight for it. I mean, you should get it. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. be trying to make stuff up. No. <laughs> Though sometimes I wonder well, clients think, think that you can. Yeah, well, and also there's a good deal of desk research um, that you can do. And indeed, looking at your client's competitors and what they do is a very good way of challenging your client. So, well, actually, so-and-so said this a while ago. What's our angle on it? So, yes. So there is a certain amount of research. And I think any professional writer who's doing thought leadership needs to be comfortable with research um, because they'll either be using research that's original for this particular piece or um, looking at research that has been produced by third parties um, in the market anyway. And I think the other point is... You don't need to be a designer, but as we said earlier, there's so many different ways that, that um, thought leadership can now be disseminated that you need to understand how text can work with film, with video, with um, uh, design and graphics. Infographics are a big part of thought leadership now. So having a, a good understanding of what's possible with all, with all of that without being a designer is an important part of it too. Yes, always making everything easy on the eye. Yeah. So, um, as well as those design skills, as well as those research skills, what other writing skills do you think are essential for someone who wants to put together a thought leadership piece? Well, I think it all comes down to the usual rules. And I mean, I would um, quote the George Orwell, Five Rules of Writing Good English. So, um, an understanding of um, how language works and how to construct uh, a clear, simple, short sentence without resorting to jargon. Um, making sure that the argument flow is logical and, uh, and consistent and avoiding jargon and consultant speak. I think the um, worst word I ever came, came across, which was in an otherwise brilliant piece of thought leadership, um, and I always have to remember how to pronounce it, was um, ideologicalization. Oh my word! <laughs> what does that even well, mean? Well, I couldn't work it out. Um, so uh, I won't say which firm it was that produced it, but... Um, uh, it was an otherwise brilliant piece of thought leadership that scored very highly, other than this um, one word that for some reason was stuck in right at the beginning. So. Uh, and not explained I can't or remember. elaborated on? Um, I think I probably did work out what it meant in the end. Um, but uh, my, my first recommendation on the evaluation form was um, get rid of this word. So. And did they? I haven't seen it used since. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think um, the other thing to watch out for is the um, whole brand voice element. And this is where I'm always conflicted because with my other hat as a marketing uh, consultant, and uh, I'm sort of very hot on brand consistency and the need to have uh, the brand message out there. But there's a limit to how much you, you can put corporate speak. Well, I mean, you had that quote earlier that highlighted this um, and, and bland brand corporate messages in a thought leadership piece. There need to be some, it needs to be in keeping with the brand, and certainly the layout and design can bring, well, have to bring the brand across, um, but I would avoid putting too much boilerplate and brand messages in. Shoehorning our exactly. five pillars of <laughs> values or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I've seen that happen. <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and it spoils it. Yes. Um, it's yeah. not necessary. So any final tips for writing a thought leadership piece? 
the other final element is okay. um, make sure that there's a um, someone you can talk to listed because if you've excited the reader and got them interested and got them engaged in the topic, um, you don't want to end the piece with contact us at info at uh, xyzconsultants.com. You need a name, um, an idea, a photograph as well. So, and I think the other thing that people often look for is a checklist. So um, is your company doing this, this and this about this topic? And if not, talk to us. And even if you are, talk to us. So, so that call to action, these are business marketing pieces. Uh, and if that's the objective, make sure there's a call to action people can respond to. Thank you uh, for chatting to me today, Simon. It's been illuminating, and I think you might have changed my mind about thought leadership. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I'm going to subject you to our quickfire right. round. So this is all about your own habits and processes right. as a writer. So first of all, what fuels your writing? Coffee, tea, or something stronger? Tea. Um, I overdosed on coffee many, many years ago in Paris um, on a business trip, and haven't touched it since. When do you like to write? Are you a lark or an owl? Um, probably later in the day, um, but at any time. And um, because I have a number of different things going on at uh, any time, I will sort of keep scraps of little notepads on me or around the house. So I'll, I may suddenly think of um, a particularly good phrase or um, idea that needs to be explored in, in writing that I'll jot down. Um, so any time of the day, really, but probably towards the end of the day, um, I get more inspired. That's very interesting because um, I feel I'm better later in the afternoon, but I think we're rare. Everyone I've mm. interviewed so far, they all tend to be logs, and they, they tend to write in the morning and edit mm. in the afternoon. Mm. But, um, mm. It's good to know that mm. I'm not a complete freak. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a planner or a plunger? Um I can sit on the fence here and say both, um, because again, the other part of my business is all about, um, you know, my business is called Structured Marketing, is all about planning and, and um, taking a, an appropriate um, structure to marketing planning, whether it be advertising or thought leadership. Um, when it comes to writing, um, I tend to plunge in, having done a very loose plan. So I suppose I, I tend to follow Eisenhower's dictum, which is plans are useless, but planning is in, in, indispensable. Um, so you have to have some sort of plan. But by the time you get to the keyboard, um, it may well be a useless one. Um, so. I have a colleague whose favourite quote, and he usually uses it in relation to getting that first little bit of feedback on a piece of writing, which is that no plan survives first contact mm. with the enemy. <laughs> well, that's the other one. Is uh, That was the German von Moltke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Uh, cluttered and every so often I will make it completely clear and it doesn't last very long. Music or silence? Generally silence. Um, I, yes, I find it too distracting to um, have music on, particularly music that's got lyrics. Too many competing words. Who's your favourite writer? Well, it would have to be P.G. Woodhouse. Um, I was introduced to him when I was about 12 um, and it made me realise what fun you can have with language um, and uh, the, the joy of playing with words and, um, uh, and particularly the English language. Uh, I mean, I read a lot of um, different writers uh, and I think that's very important for someone in the writing business is to expose yourself to a range of different writing styles and, and types. But I would probably always come back to him. I think he's you know, the master of the English language. Um, even now, you know, a long time after his death, and, and you know, 
a long time after he started writing, um, there are still few writers who can touch him for um, consistent um, performance. Finally, can you leave us with your one best writing tip? Well, it comes back to knowing the reader. And one of the questions I put in any briefing document is, what do you want the reader to think, feel and do as a result of reading this? And the most important part of that, I think, is what you want the reader to feel. Uh, we like to think that we're rational human beings, but we tend often to be rationalising human beings, and our decisions are based on our emotions and what we feel. And people tend to remember how you make them feel rather than what you make them think. And just on that point, do you, do you think that's something that's often missed in professional services? I know um, there's one famous copywriter I know who um, I once heard say, there's no such thing as B2B copywriting. There's no such thing as writing for a business reader, like they're, like they're not humans. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that... I, th that I think there's an element of truth in that. Normally when I brought this up with clients, they recognise it uh, and... and they don't challenge it, and um, uh, and they accept it. And, and, and of course, going back to what we were saying earlier, um, so much of professional services work is about personal, individual relationships. So as soon as you put it in, in, into that context, um, then it all makes sense. Um, and it, get, it comes back to that definition we had. Um, the, you know, the final part of any thought leadership is it's designed to influence others, um, and that will involve in changing the way they feel. Simon Phillips, thank you. It's been great fun chatting about thought leadership. And, uh, thank, thank you very, you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. As ever, visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Until the next episode, bye from me. Bye.